when we go inside, when we can drop into the core of who we are, which is essentially good and whole and light and and full. You know, we're 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 full with many parts. When we can embrace that, then you know we can be more effective in the world. You know, one of my favorite phrases is, "If you don't go within, you go without." You're listening to the Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Hello, this is Nikki Ballou along with my co-founder, the amazing Michael Palmer. Say hello, Michael. Hello, everybody. Here at the awesome podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership, and we have got an incredible guest for you here today. This is someone who I consider a personal mentor of mine. He is someone with expertise in the area of relationship. He's someone with specific expertise at folks with relationships in crisis and helping them turn that around. And he has done incredible work for men and with men to help them be the best possible version of a man in today's 21st century world. I'm talking about none other than the one, the only, the legendary Owen Williams. Owen, are you on the line? I'm on the line. My goodness. I'm not sure how I can follow that introduction. Hey, man, it's great to have you on the podcast. Oh, glad to be here. It really, it's truly an honor. So listen, for the benefit of our listener, could you take a moment now, Owen, and tell everybody a little bit about um, your expertise and your personal story, how you got involved in it? Because I know you've had quite a varied career before you got uh, involved in what you're doing now. Sure. Well, for the past 26 years, I've been involved as a relationship coach, working predominantly with men, but also with couples. And in my work with men, um, you know, I realized that I was doing the work with men because I needed to learn things about myself. And there's no better way to learn about ourselves than to be engaged with other people. And, you know, discovering what our own truth is, is difficult. Uh, It's messy. And I love being engaged in the mess that we can create in our lives and supporting people to find their way through it as I find my way through my own mess. So the, the, the background of my work came because I had everything, but I felt like I had nothing. I had a great marriage. I had a great career. I had money. I had prestige. But I felt hollow and empty. Uh, I had what I call the imposter syndrome, where I felt like at any moment uh, somebody would look over my shoulder and realize that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And that, for me, was a frightening thought. Wow. That's uh, something that I can definitely relate to. I mean, I've felt I've had imposter syndrome for much of my life until quite recently as well. And I'm sure that the listener uh, can relate to that as well. So um, tell us, you know, what what specifically had you get involved in what you're doing now? And, and, and how is it that you've made it be a success in terms of sharing your gifts with people and making a difference out in the world? Great question, Nikki. You know, I think for anyone who, who, who's in business, they have to find a need in their own life, a need that's, that's missing, and then go and address that need. And for me, uh, I needed to discover 
you know, more about myself. So my, my work over the last uh, quarter century has been around self-discovery and then, you know, leveraging that to support other people to discover things about themselves. And, you know, I'm the author of several books. Uh, I have a, a book that I'm publishing uh, this year. And, you know, you asked me, what, how have I leveraged my business? I think one of the key things I've done with clients is I've encouraged clients to either videotape or audio tape our sessions so that they can hear themselves. I thoroughly believe that the answers are inside of us. I don't have any answers for anybody. I don't know what your life is like or Michael's life is like. You know what your life is like. And so if I can create a context and a space that's safe enough for a person to look at themselves and discover what they need to discover and what to date they don't know about themselves, that way they can create an opening for new possibilities. That's fantastic. You know, I, I've done work with you. You've been a, a coach and a mentor to me in the area of relationship when uh, my marriage was uh, failing. And uh, I, I know that I've recorded a lot of our sessions together and I've gone back and listened to them. And that's been extremely powerful. And uh, I believe in the work you do so much. I think I've sent over 60 uh, men and couples your way so that you can make a difference for them. And you've, you've managed to be very successful with the vast majority of them, either in helping them turn around their marriage and helping them, uh, if they couldn't turn around their marriage, uh, at least end it in, in, in a civil way and at, and at some level come to uh, a good space for themselves and for their children. So what's allowed you to be so effective in terms of the results you produce? Because from my perspective, it's nothing short of remarkable. Well, thank you, Nikki. Uh, I think the key thing that's allowed me to be successful is I have worked at setting my own judgments aside. You know, it's impossible not to judge. The mind is a judging mind. And in my work with clients, you know, I may notice a judgment that will come in, but I don't pay attention to it. I have replaced, you know, being judgment with being curious and so for me, when I'm sitting with or, or in person or working with a client by Skype or phone, I'm always listening with this curiosity for how it is they've decided what they've decided about themselves, their world, their relationship, their spouse. Because when you change your mind, you change your life. And that sounds very simple. And it's actually that simple. But if it was easy to do, everybody would have done it. You know, in order to understand our thinking, we have to be able to hear ourselves. And that's where recording sessions for clients has been really helpful because we often, you know, we, we talk to ourselves, but we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we're saying until we can actually hear it played back. And in relationship, people play things back to us. We get feedback from people. Sometimes the delivery of that information sucks and we get triggered by it and we resist hearing it or, or have a block against hearing it. Uh, sometimes we can hear it. But when we hear ourselves and shift our own perception to become curious about ourselves, there's an opening that happens. And so my ability to get really curious about what's going on for a person, why they're engaging the way they are, why they've developed the defenses that they've developed against the life that they really long for and claim and want outwardly, 
This helps clients get unstuck. Amazing. Love it. Owen, you, uh, you, you talked about the imposter syndrome. And, you know, I think uh, the inner critic is, is a good friend of the imposter syndrome. And a good friend of mine, Danielle Chrissa, her thought leadership is all around. She's an artist, a great one at that. And she's built a whole thought leadership platform around creativity blocks and the inner critic. And I think for thought leaders, this is, this is a massive hurdle because, you know, it's their own thoughts. It's them bringing out their message to the world and the inner critic can get in their way. So, you, you know, you've had the ability to get over this imposter syndrome or to, to, to deal with it in a powerful way. And I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear some steps or some, some, some techniques that can help them. Put, put that inner critic aside so that they can get the true message that they have inside them out to the world. What would you, what would you, what would you share with us about that? Well, Michael, one thing that I'm aware of is that in, in much of the self-help world, people can get really angry with their inner critic. And the irony is that that just entrenches people even more in the critic process. And so... I tend to look at, at the inner critic as um, what I would call the inner saboteur protector. That part of us was developed at an early stage in our life, ironically, to protect us. So if the critic today is telling you, you know, you can't do this or you're not good enough or you're not successful enough, if we track back where that message got developed – and it usually got developed with some outside influence. We got a message from someone we trusted or believed in or looked up to and admired. Uh, and sometimes it's something that we've decided ourselves. When we can look back and see that the purpose of that was actually to protect us at that stage in our lives, we can now learn to set the, the conversation aside. We can't stop it. We can only notice it and set it aside. I, I think of the times when I've taken a leap. Uh, I've had my own radio show. I published my first book. Uh, I was on a, a, a television series. Those leaps in my own development and my own uh, willingness to be out there in the world initially brought up the inner critic yet again. And people often think that they, you know, well, I've dealt with it and it's never going to show up. This keeps cycling through us and it keeps cycling through because you can't get rid of it. And it's an old pattern of behavior designed to support us. So the key, and this is where I come back to recording sessions with clients, when, when we can hear the inner critic and be a witness to it, not be taken by it, you know, uh, it, it's not driving the bus any longer because for most people it is absolutely driving the bus. When we can actually witness it, we can go, oh, there's that critical voice or that gremlin or that saboteur, whatever you choose to call it. And there are many names uh, out there that people will ascribe to this part of us. But I encourage clients to actually have reverence for that part because to, to antagonize it, to judge, to be angry with it, locks us into it. So, Owen, if you were giving this advice to a thought leader, 
Because thought leaders work with clients, either one-to-one or one-to-many or through authoring online programs, books, et cetera. How would you have them handle this inner critic in terms of how they serve? Yeah, for themselves and especially in terms of how they handle it for a business perspective in serving their clients. You know, I have a philosophy that I can only take someone to a place that I've already visited. So only to the degree that I've mastered my own inner critic can I, you know, teach others. Can I, can I uh, create the space for others to become aware of, uh, notice, and transcend their own critic? So I think, you know, the key in any thought leadership, in any area of expertise, is our willingness to do our own work and to be humble with it. You know, the the critic can be insidious and, you know, the expectations of the critic are perfection and and there's no such thing. But that too is just part of the the insidiousness of this element of our psyche. And so when we can notice it in ourselves, we can actually help others. So to the degree that I'm successful in my own business is the degree that I can Invite others to create the, the level of success. I, th- I always like to work from the inside out because if we work from the outside in, we can create the illusion of something, but it doesn't have any substance. When we go inside, when we can drop into the core of who we are, which is essentially good and whole and light and, and full, you know, we're, we're, we're full with many parts. When we can embrace that, then, you know, we can be more effective in the world. You know, one of my favorite phrases is, if you don't go within, you go without. It's brilliantly put, Owen. And, and you know, I'm sitting here thinking it's so true and, uh, and often unthought of is that as a thought leader, everything you're doing is coming from the inside and we're taking it to the outside. So if we're not taking care of the inside and paying attention to the inside, that's really going to affect our performance with our customers, the work that we do and what we're creating. So I love that angle. And I have not thought about that in a very long time. Well, you see, I think when we take care of our inner life, which requires that we slow down, that we develop this witness aspect that we all have, this ability to notice ourselves, you know, we're really good at noticing other people. And having feedback for them. But can we notice with, the, with this curiosity who we are, who we're being, and what's motivating us to be the way we are? When we can nurture that, when we can sit in silence, when we can read something on a daily basis that is inspiring, that causes us to reflect, that allows us to be in the mystery, then I think we actually have more to offer the world. Excellent. I'm going to take it in a, in a new direction here, Owen. I'll ask you a question. You, you know, you've mentioned you've been on radio program, television shows, you've put out books. You've got this body of work. You said the last decade you've been digging in deep to, to the work that you do. Well, what are, what's been your challenge today? What do you face in terms of getting this beautiful work that you do? And, and as Nikki said, your incredible effectiveness at it. What are, what's the challenge of taking that to the world, do, and what do you see for yourself 
around bringing your message? Do you want to bring it to more people? Like, where are you at with that? Well, that's a great question, Michael, because it's a real knife edge for me because there is a part of me that wants to bring it to the world. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to be busier than I am. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's the conundrum because it's so easy uh, at some level to be swept up in the, uh, the excitement of, the desire to, uh, the, you know, the potential fame of something. I think it, it speaks to the stage of life I'm at. I'm entering my final third. I'm going to be 60, you know, in a year's time. And I'm, I'm, I'm being reflective in a completely new way that didn't occur to me in my 40s or really in my 50s. And so I want to refine my message without a doubt. I want to give this to people in a way that to date I haven't. And it's interesting that we're doing this podcast today because I actually recorded seven podcasts yesterday uh, about relationships and uh, have taken on actually with, uh, with a colleague to, uh, to record 200 podcasts over the next three months, all centered around relationship skill building and uh, insight for individuals to create for themselves. So less about relationship with other, but more about relationship with self. Very interesting. Well, that's, that's excellent. And I have Nikki here uh, saying, we should do that, 200. I'm like, come on now, pump the brakes there a bit. That's an amazing and, uh, and bold goal, Owen, to get that. And I, I really, you know, what I hear in that is also legacy, like the legacy of what you've created and what you've been working on, that that's, you're going to document that in 200 podcasts over the next three months, you said? Yep. Yeah, awesome. Love that. I love that. And I just make a comment about what you said about that uh, internal struggle you got going on between the part of you that wants to get bigger and the part of you that doesn't want to be busier. Is just consider that you were given a very special gift for a very special reason, and it wasn't to minimize its uh, impact or its sharing. Absolutely. I, uh, I get it. And uh, I, I do know that there's a way to walk this, uh, you know, this tightrope and, and get to the other side of this. You know, I have to say that I was inspired to do these podcasts because I recently read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, which is a book I didn't read as a child. And it, it was one book of many that I had set aside to read in this, this upcoming year. And I was struck by how the writing in this book is timeless. The emotions that Mark Twain is writing about with uh, Tom and, and Huck Finn, the, the human dynamics that he is so so well articulated, they cross every timeline. And so they're as relevant today as they were when he wrote the book decades ago. And that inspired me to, to look at what, what can I bring to the world that is timeless, that if somebody listened to it a hundred years from now or a hundred days from now, will, will be relevant for them as a human being. That's brilliant. You know what? Uh, I'm going to reread that book. I haven't read it since I was a, a boy. 
But uh, I, I remember I loved it, and it was full of power and passion and adventure, and, and it woke up a lot in me when I was a boy, and I, I'd like to have it do the same again. So what is on your reading list these days? What are the kind of top five books that you're uh, looking forward to read, the top five books you've read in your life? Love to hear that from you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, having read... So many books. I mean, I have a I have a collection of, of over five thousand books, and I've wow. read most of. Them. Um, I'm a reader, so uh, it's what I love to do. That's one that of the is, things we share in common, Owen. So am I. I love reading. Uh, it's a hard thing to name, you know, top five books. Again, I think this age of reflectiveness, I'm moving back to the classics. You know, people often talk about reading the classics, but never get to them. And they're classics for a reason. Um, and you know, so I want to read some Dostoevsky. Um, can't even say that word. Dostoevsky. Uh, that's right. And, you know, Homer. And so some of these, you know, really foundational books that people have have cherished for such a long time. Um, I'm looking at uh, a couple of books by um, Thierry de Chardin, who, um, who, who wrote about human consciousness in the 40s and 50s and was very much ahead of his time, but spoke about, uh, without knowing, he spoke about the internet, how that'd be this, 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 Consciousness that would come across humanity towards the end of the century that we were destined to experience. He clearly did not know how it would come about, but a way of linking human beings. And again, part for me is how do I immerse myself enough in it, but not get sucked in? Um, you know, the, the internet can be like a black hole for people, uh, as can many aspects of technology, as can you know, many books I find are so filled, they, they have fluff or filler in them. And when I write, I like to write in a way that, that narrows the focus down to the, the point in question without the cloudiness that can come from many modern books that, you know, need to be 150 pages when the message could have been said in 35 pages. I'm bang on with you on that. Uh, as you know, I wrote a, a book myself that's 42 pages long. And uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback on it that people love that I'm saying what I'm saying succinctly. They can actually get to it and read it. Mm -hmm. There's a fellow thought leader, Derek Sivers, who founded CD Baby. And, you know, he's doing great work now. He sold it and uh, for a lot of money and, and now does a lot of work around just social experiments and, and thought leadership experiments. But one of the things he's been talking about is books is similar to you, Owen, is the, there's just too much in these books that don't need to be there. So he's, he's working on creating books that are, are, are titled, I think it's just do this, right? So that at the end of his book, if you don't want to read the whole thing, just go to the very back and, and read the just do this. And it's a couple of pages and that's the whole book uh, summed up in, in one bit. Now, uh, I think that's powerful, and I think it's – I still like a big book myself. I like the weight of it, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, people are busy, and they are seeking knowledge. And you said yourself, how many books do you have? 3,000, did you say? Uh, over 5,000. Over 5,000 books, and that's probably just at 
that's probably like a daily uh, output of, of books that come into the world. So there's so much information out there and we're bombarded. So I love the theme and I think it's, it is a trend. Well, and I was fortunate. I grew up in a home with over 10,000 books uh, and no hydro. So that, you know, we read, there was no television and, uh, you know, re- listeners might think, how old is this guy? Uh, I'm, I'm not 60 <laughs> yet, but I, I grew up in a very remote part of the country. And, you know, I, as much as I've looked back and thought, oh, you know, poor me, I suffered as a child. I didn't have the things that other kids had. There were many blessings that came along with that because from a very young age, we were encouraged to read at about every topic that you can imagine. And so, you know, I've, I've cultivated that uh, as I've matured, hopefully, in this world. And it's, it is the thing that I want to do more of as I, uh, as I move into this next stage. That's amazing, Owen. Um, so tell us a little bit about the ways in which you deliver your thought leadership to your clients and to the world at large. I know that you've done one-on-one work, uh, like traditional, you know, uh, an hour or two hours at a time coaching with people. I know that you've also done immersion work with uh, couples in particular who are going through a crisis. You'll spend a full day with them to try and help them out. Um, and I also know that you've run men's groups and, you know, then podcast books and so forth. But could you just catalog for us all the various ways in which you have delivered your thought leadership, that you're looking at delivering your thought leadership, and uh, what you think is out there for you as you go forward, as you say, into this final third of your life so that your legacy is rich and meaningful? Yeah, thank you. I think I, I, think I will always work one-on-one with clients. Um, whether that's with individuals, couples, or families. I also like partnering with, uh, with a colleague and working two-on-two in these intensive couples sessions and with families as well. I do a fair amount of that. Um, writing more, uh, having more, more books, because I love books so much. You know, I, I think that a, a self-help book in and of itself doesn't change a thing, but I, I want to write in a way that encourages people, A, to be reflective and B, to have conversations. I love these ideas of book clubs and uh, people gathering together to talk about ideas. I'm soon going to be moving to a remote island off of the BC coast, and one of my intentions is to hold salons where I invite people in the community to gather together and talk about a topic without the need for an agenda of how we, how we come to a resolution or a completion. It's really about being in the conversation and learning how to listen more to other people and, and be changed by the listening of uh, the experience of somebody else. You know, I, I will continue to work by Skype and by phone. Um, I'm also looking to to create an, another men's experience with uh, with a group of men that weeks uh, meets weekly to to deepen men's understanding of uh, how they want to live. You know, I'm I'm surrounded by a lot of men who seem to be challenged by uh, what you, Nikki, and I would call their terms. And, you know, what are, what are your terms for living as a man? And it, it can be an agonizing question for men. And I think the, the uh, area of focus is way too broad. And for me, it's about 
one term, which is how to be your word as a man. Because when, when I'm my word, when I follow through on what I say I'm going to follow through on, it pulls out of me a whole perspective of showing up in the world. Because before I agree to something, I have to be willing to discern, is this something that I want to do and am willing to do and am willing to follow through on? Whereas in an earlier life, I would agree to things to keep the peace, to have people like me, to go along with the crowd, and then end up not following through, being resentful of other people, uh, being upset with myself, and impacting my relationships in very negative ways. And so I do believe that as men, the most powerful thing we can do is this one central thought, be our word. That's very powerful. Yeah, and that's my focus for this, this next stage, is to engage with men just around this aspect. Amazing. You, you know, um, there's a book I read recently at Michael's recommendation called The Power of Habit. It's by a, a journalist, of all things, not a researcher, named Charles Duhigg, who writes for The New York Times. And in it, he looked at this concept called the keystone habit. It's the one habit that if you implement will have such a cascading and powerful effect on all the other habits that you have in the rest of your life that it by itself will be transformative. And what you're talking about here in terms of this one term of, of being your word and keeping your word to me is very similar to that concept of a keystone habit because certainly for men, keeping your word and being your word would have a dramatic and transformational impact on how you show up everywhere in your life and with whatever's important. And there was a time, you know, when men, a man was his word. That, that's what men were known for. And, and today we've lost that a little bit, unfortunately, I, I think to, uh, to society's detriment. Well, I think we've lost it because we want to be everything. You know, society says, there are messages in society that says you can have it all and you can have it all right now. And I do believe we can have it all, but not right now. We can have it all over time. And if we're willing to, to practice a way of being that, is, that has a central and fundamental premise, such as being your word, it infiltrates every other aspect of our lives. And so I, I encounter people who are pulled in so many directions, who want to do so many things and end up failing at it, feeling really terrible about themselves, their inner critic saboteur gets activated and, you know, starts to run the show or continues to run the show, as the case may be. And then they wonder why, you know, they have all this information and knowledge, but they're, they're still miserable. You know, there's time to have a wide-angle lens and to take in the entire landscape of our lives. And there's time to, to you know, put on a zoom lens and get focused on one central theme. Brilliantly put, brilliantly put. So, uh, Owen, as we move to bring this uh, amazing podcast interview to a conclusion, could you just give us, for our thought leader listener, three expert action steps that you suggest they take? And in particular, how they can find out more about you and your work if they're interested in doing that for themselves and uh, for the people they serve. Okay, well, thank you. 
the first step that I would give to any thought leader is slow down. Eliminate some things from your life. People are always wanting to, to, to add goals to their life. And I think, no, 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 take some things away and create a space to be who you really are. The second thing I would encourage people to do is to have five good friends. Now, five friends who you can say anything to, who will challenge, love, and champion you to be the best that you can be. You know, people often want to have a thousand friends on Facebook. This is this is the antithesis of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a handful of good people in your life. I have a, a woman, actually, that I have met every three weeks for breakfast for the last 19 years. And she and I are tremendous source of support, inspiration, uh, feedback. We can tussle about things without the need to be right. And she's just one of a handful of people that I have in my life that I'm uh, absolutely grateful for. And um, what would be the third thing? I would say decide how you want to live from the inside out. So take away the pressures of external forces that uh, we're being fed through media and come to terms with, for yourself, how you want to live. One thing, and it doesn't have to be the thing that I uh, put out in this podcast. It doesn't matter what it is. But, you know, be good at one thing and, you know, find the juiciness in that. And so for listeners who want to find out more about me, the best way is to go to my website, which is relationshipexcellence.com. That's relationshipexcellence.com. There's many ways to get a hold of me uh, through that website, and it's filled with videos and audio and uh, information that can uh, help people find the answers inside of them. Thank you so much, Owen. You're what Nikki and I consider to be an entrepreneur hero. In terms of the work you do, you you do this for a living, but the work that you do truly is honorable. You help people become closer, stay together. You bring families together. You make the world a better place for many, many people. And our hats are, are both off to you. And we thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, your work with all of our listeners. And we, we really know that we're going to have you back uh, to share again. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, gentlemen. Uh, I'd, I'd like to leave uh, you and your listeners with a quote by Joseph Campbell that I remind myself of so often. He said, the world is perfect. It's a mess. It's always been a mess. You're not going to change it. Your job is to clean up your own mess. Wow, that's brilliant. And with that, and with that gentlemen, I wish you well. Thank you, Owen. It's been a real treat to have you here, and for me in particular, with uh, you being one of my great mentors and coaches. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye, Owen. And for all the listeners, you can get the show notes at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com, and we'll have, uh, I'm sure we can get some, some links up for Owen there as well. So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. 
for more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.